good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And on this spring forward, which means there's only a few more weeks of snowfall and melting and snowfall and melting. I, I do like this time of the year. I don't know about you, because I know, they, I don't care if we get 20 inches in one day. It's going to be gone about four or five days. And because I see like a 38 or a 39 or a 40. Anybody else get excited about that on the, yeah? So let it do what it's going to do because it's not going to stay. It's not like December or January where you're like, oh, dear God, this could be here for weeks. And no one else is that way? Okay. You must all be in the snowplow business. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. I pray for you, too, that it will just come down and then you'll make your money. And then I pray for global warming, that God will send the heat and the sunshine. Don't hate me or send emails. And then we're into March, and so it's a good day. So um, anyhow, I hope that your week has been good. I hope you've got a great spring planned. And we're starting a brand new series today. And if that video looks like your life where it starts with a blank slate and then by seemingly the end of the day it is so maxed and you're so overwhelmed that you don't know what to do, this series is going to be great for you. So if you have your Bibles, I'm actually going to begin in Genesis chapter 2 which is the first book, and then we're going to work our way all the way through the book of Revelation today. So it'll be about 16 hours, and no, I'm teasing. <laughs> so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, then we're going to go to Exodus 16. I'm really going to kind of camp out in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, uh, chapter 16, page 78 of my Bible, if that helps you at all. And we're going to get there, and I'm going to kind of unpack this. But we're in this series on margin, and we did a sermon on this in a series that we did previously this year, uh, on uh, love and family. And when I did this message on margin, there was such a high resonance with people in the congregation, both from people that were new in their faith uh, and new to this faith community, as well as people that had been walking with Jesus for a long, long, long time. And so it was one of those things that I just sat down and we had a completely different series worked out. Uh, we were going to walk through the book of Galatians. I had a six-week series that already started kind of walking my way through that and doing the theological work for that. And was one of those things where it was just like, man, we need to camp out on this, uh, this subject of margin. And so we just kind of called an audible and just said, hey, this is what we're going to do. And so um, that's what we're going to be unpacking the next several weeks. And my goal is that this is a very practical, practical, practical series. I try to be a practical communicator. I had one person say, you're like preaching for dummies, which I took as a compliment. Because uh, how else are you going to take it? But, um, but the reality is, is that it's simple. I've been to church all my life, and I understand what you're saying. That, that's the goal. The goal in church should never be from any pastor, preacher, priest, or communicator to confuse you. Uh, it's easy to get confused. Uh, I get confused. We all do. But my job is to take this God's Word, which is timeless, uh, which is organic. The Bible says it, that it, it's life-producing. Uh, and that, uh, and allow that to do its work in you that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so, so as we walk through this next several weeks, we're going to talk about how do you schedule margin. I'm going to talk about that next weekend. And I'm going to go back to, to, to the Bible. How do you do it? Uh, I'm going to talk about how do you have financial margin? Because one of the top three things that people fight about and that people are stressed about and they have no margin for is in their finances. Uh, and, and a lot of it goes back to the message I'm going to preach today. I'm going to kind of start today. I'm going to talk about how do you have moral margin in your life. We are all making ethical choices on a regular basis. Our kids are making them. We're teaching and training them to make them. We're trying to produce uh, a, a godly life in them. 
and to see that happen. How do you deal with that? How do you walk through that? So we're going to do that. Today, though, I want to talk with, with how do you discover margin? Where does margin come from? Is it a biblical concept or is it some new, you know, like self-help book that you're going to pick up at Barnes & Noble? What, what, where does this come from? And, and, and how did we get here? And what drives this marginless lifestyle that we have, especially in, 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 a fir in first world nations? Um, this is pretty epidemic with us. Uh, people that don't have anything typically don't deal with this issue. That's interesting. The more that you have, which should actually ease your burden, actually increases your burden. So the burden in which you bear is directly related to which the prosperity in which you live. If you live in a first world nation, such as America in the 21st century, this is a big epidemic issue. And so counseling offices and psychologists and psychiatrists are booked full. Doctors are prescribing meds at record numbers. And, and quite frankly, more people are diagnosed with issues relating to a marginless lifestyle than anything else in America. Why? Well, we're going to talk about that today. The reality is, is that we're busy. We're all busy. You're busy. I'm busy. Uh, some of us like to be busy. I'm one of those kind of people that I, I don't like. I, uh, I plan for idle time, if that makes sense. Um, and, and trust me, I get, I get enough sleep at night, and, and, um, and, and I have to have time out, and, and I, I, I watch a certain amount of TV, whether, don't tell me that's bad or good, I really don't care, it's just my veg time. I will watch enough sports and enough movies. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a, I, I've gone to the movie theater and said, I don't really care what's showing, whatever's next, here's my money. I just want to sit for an hour and a half, two hours, and be uninterrupted. Um, I've done that before. Uh, I, so, so, but, 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 but what the deal is, is that we are all busy. And some of us are busy in a way that we're not wired to be that way. Some of us, it's, it's almost like a drug to us because uh, we're workaholics. And, and we're type A and we're control freaks and we like to go at this. Wherever you fall in the continuum, whether you feel like you are pulling somebody else or you're being drugged behind, at any point on that continuum, the reality is it's, 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 we're busy. And so the problem with that, though, is that when there's no margin, there's a couple things that happen. First of all, we get stressed out. We become completely stressed, which either drives to addictive behaviors to try to calm us, to try to satisfy us, to try to cool us. Um, it goes to, we go to the doctor to try to get some chemical. And if you think about this, and I'm not against, I'm not speaking against doctors, but every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Law of physics is very basic. So when I'm taking one substance in order to counteract one activity, there's going to be a, a different response. And so all of a sudden, I'm dealing with these stress levels that, quite frankly, I'm either I'm overpaced or I'm underworked. You know, some of it is we deal with physical realities from emotional stresses. So I become stressed and they lie. Another thing that happens when I have no margin is that I lose focus. And so the immediate and the urgent overtakes the long-term and the important. So the priorities that I've set in life, the decisions that I made about my finances, about my relationships, about, about my life's goals, about what I feel like God wants me to do, the long-term things that are going to produce life in me, the daily disciplines and habits that are going to produce life in me, i.e. reading God's Word, spending time in prayer and meditation, kind of controlling my day, goes out the window really fast. And your life looks like that refrigerator on the video. And all of a sudden, it becomes where there is no margin. It is so cluttered and so filled with stuff. So it's the immediate. It's the urgent. It's what I have to do today. It's what I have to do now. That's the reason why drive-through dinners are so, so, so common, because I don't have time. 
And some of you, if you just look at your car, you can see what you've eaten over the last two weeks. Because there's wrappers, yeah, don't laugh. There's wrappers, there's bags, there's all of this stuff. You just get a whiff, and it's like grease is what it smells like, right? Because it, whether it's a hamburger or whether it's a taco or, hey, you went to Panda Express and got orange chicken. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just, it's all, it's your world. And so the long term, it gets played out and gets pushed out from short term immediate. Um, there's no margin. Our relationships suffer. You don't have time to spend quality time or quantity of time with your spouse, with your kids, with friends, with people that are hurting. You don't have time to help hurting people. The truth of the matter is, in, in, the, in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, you're like the priest that goes, I just don't have time for this. And you see someone that's hurting, you see someone that's in need, but you say, I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to have a cup of coffee. I don't have time to listen to your problems. I don't have the emotional bandwidth. I don't have the physical time. I don't have the spiritual time. I am fighting hell and hanging on myself. Good luck. I'll pray for you, which means code for that's a spiritual talk for see you later. Seriously. I, I, this past week, I'm filling up with gas. I'm on my way to an appointment. Just like you, I'm, I'm, I'm running a bit behind, and, and I'm trying to get there, and I have to fill up with gas. And I'm at the pump, and I, and I just, and it's a bit cold, and it's one, it was a crazy windy day. I mean, that, like, I, listen, I lived in Oklahoma for five years. I grew up on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border, so Fort Smith. If you've seen the movie True Grit, where that railroad ends, that's my hometown. So I get wind, I get tornadoes and all of that. This is nuts, man. Like, Milwaukee makes, makes Oklahoma look passive. And so... I'm standing at the gas pump, and I'm finishing up, and a lady on the other side, there at Quick Trip, says to me, Pastor, it's good to see you. Immediately, my mind goes, did I say anything that I shouldn't have said? Did I do anything I shouldn't have said? I'm just telling you what I do. And I said, hey, how are you? And she said, not good. I'm the pastor. What am I going to do? Hey, have a nice day. See you. Appreciate you. It's really windy. My hair. What am I going to do, right? And so I said, so I stepped over, and I'm, step, I'm on this island now where the gas pumps are, and I just said, tell me what's going on, and she tells me what's happening. I said, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for this situation. Here's what I know. In the course of my day, if I don't stop and take time for her, I'll forget about it. I said, do you mind if I just pray for you right now? She said, no. So I just put my hand on her shoulder, and I prayed for the need right then and there. When we don't have margin, we don't have time just to take a moment just to reach somebody else. So the idea for margin comes from God. I know you go, well, we're in church. You're going to say that. No, I'm really going to show you this. And in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, so the Old Testament's written in Hebrew originally, and the New Testament's written in Greek. And both of those, both of those testaments, there is the word rest is what's used how we would define margin. So Jesus says in the New Testament, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because it's easy and my burden is light. Many times with the disciples, Jesus would say to them, 
We've been ministering all day. We've been serving all day. We need to pull away and find rest. You find this rhythm that Jesus does. He's with the people. He's loving the people. He's serving the people. And he is God, but his, his divinity is wrapped in humanity, which means that body needs rest. And so the Bible says he would withdraw from the crowds. He would withdraw from the people. Typically, one of the cities he would go to was Capernaum, which was alongside the sea. He went to what we would call a lake, oftentimes, many times, to, to find respite, to find rest, to find relaxation, to recharge his batteries. When we get to the Old Testament, God's the one that instituted this. God's the one actually that models this ideology of rest and margin. And look at it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. He had margin. On the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That word sanctify means to set apart, to make holy. So when you see sanctified, holy, set apart, all three of the same things. Because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. So we see God in this rhythm of stress, six days working, and release. One day of rest. Six days full court press. One day rest. Six days giving everything he has, one day resting. You have to understand that the, Jew, that, that, that the Jews and the Israelites, and the way basically that the Bible is written, especially in the Old Testament, the way they would have viewed a day, if you read the creation of the world, it, the day doesn't begin with sunrise to sunset. The day begins with sunrise. Monday actually begins on Sunday night at sunset, and it goes to sunset on Monday. And Tuesday begins at sunset on Monday and begins at sunset on Tuesday. It's not sunrise to sunrise, it's sunset to sunset. And the reason behind this is because you always end the, end the day, or you begin the day with rest, with recharging the battery. That makes a whole lot more sense than the way we do it in the first world. It's an Eastern mindset, not a Western mindset. And remember, the Bible is not a Western theology or a Western religion. It's Eastern. And so that's the reason why you see sometimes some commonalities between that and other Eastern religions, because that's where it's from, the Middle East. And so the reality is, is that they would begin with recharging the battery and with rest, so that then when the sun came up, they were ready to charge the day, and then at the end of the day. And so that's even the, as you read the creation the, the story right there, the, the account in Genesis chapter 1, that's how it begins. From sunset to sunset, not sunrise to sunrise. And God goes through this rhythm of full court press, of stress, of the entire day, of resting through the evening and preparing for the next day. Full court press, resting in the evening. He does this for six days on straight, but on the seventh, he rests from all. He ceases, the Bible says, from all activity. Quite frankly, I know this isn't really popular in, in an American culture, and my dad, being a, a union guy, will, will probably t call me about this if he watches this message. But we were created to work six days on and one day off. That's how we're wired. Work won't kill anybody if you do six days on, one day off. Six-one ratio won't kill anybody. Five to two definitely won't hurt you. And so what I'm trying to say is we were created to work. How are you so, how do you know this? Because the Bible says that God gave us job and vocation and calling prior to the fall of man. Prior to sin entered the world, work is not a byproduct of sin. Work predates sin. 
which means God's created in every single one of us a reason to get up in the morning, a skill set, a desire, a passion. And if you play to that passion and you live in that passion and you work in that passion and you live in that passion, the work, six days on, full court press, I'm going at it full throttle, one day off. Six days on, I'm going at it, one day off. It will never kill you. It's a rhythm that will sustain you. But if you try to act like a 7-Eleven and go 365, 724, you're going to die a very early death. Why? Because there's no margin. There's no rest. There's no rhythm in your life. And so we see this. There's this stress of work, 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 and push and push and go for the goals and hit the market and make it happen and release. It's a stress. It's a release. So why don't we do that? Why don't we live with this margin that God modeled, God gives in the Ten Commandments, Jesus Christ will come back to, to say to defend the Sabbath that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm going to talk about that next week in scheduling. Why don't we deal with this? It's a real simple four-letter word, fear. 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 Here's what we're scared of. I'm fearful that if I am not on 24-7, 365, I may miss out on something. I'm fearful that I might fall behind. There's always somebody better, always somebody faster, always somebody smarter, not necessarily better looking, but there's always somebody better, always somebody faster, always somebody smarter. I may fall behind my competition. I may do this. I may do this. I have fear of not mattering. This is huge today. People are so concerned with how their life appears it used to be the kind of car I drove or the, or the address or the neighborhood that I lived in today. It's how my social standing looks. It's how many people follow me or how many people, how many likes I have or, or, or what I have to do. I, I can't tell you how many times that I see, I don't have my phone on me, but I see uh, one of my teenage daughters just kind of uh, look at, and I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm on Snapchat. And so we're kind of keeping this kind of, well, I don't even know what that's called, kind of this stretch of people, this stream or whatever it is. Streak, see? When I was growing up, streaking was what you did at a high school football game on Friday night. <laughs> Just saying. I like my version better, but anyhow, so it's a streak. So I'm just like, it's all about this social currency. Fear. In the scripture, we see this fear played out with the Israelites, the nation of Israel. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 16. Israel, this is a, the Old Testament is historical, right? So in, in its accuracy, it's an historical document. It's been proven time and time and time again. But it's also very much um, biographical in a way so that you and I can identify. Because Israel, the people of God, are much like the people of God, the church, today. And we react and respond the same. And so history doesn't really, re history repeats itself. It's, there's nothing really new under the sun. And we see that is, the Israel up at this point, up in the, the book of, Gen uh, excuse me, of, of Exodus, they've been in slavery for 430 years. And in slavery, they've worked seven days a week. There's no margin. It's a complete marginless lifestyle. They're a commodity that's basically ran by the Egyptian government, which would have been the foremost power of the world. And if you study any kind of Western civilization and history, if you're a history buff at all, Egypt is fascinating. And how there are architectural, 
and, um, and, and engineering feats that they did that we simply don't know how they did it today. Even with our modern technology, we know how we could do the pyramids. We have no idea how they did it. Uh, there were things that they did from indoor plumbing, especially in, in cities like Memphis and, and in Cairo. And there, there was a way, there were an aqueduct system that they actually brought um, interior. It would be similar to our air conditioning without the use of, uh, of, of electricity to be able to bring through, to bring to cool, to cool in these inner cities uh, in, in the inner parts of, of these nations. I mean, it was, it was amazing some of the stuff that they did. Not only the, the, from, from their writing and from their, their literature, from their arts, they're one of the first cultures that we know that, that led at that level. Uh, a world power, but it's built on the backs of these people, these Israelites, of these Jews. So the Bible says in, in the first uh, 13 chapters, 12, 13 chapters of, of Exodus, that God hears the cries of the people, he speaks to Moses, raises Moses up, and that Moses comes, and he becomes a great deliverer. And we see in chapter 14 that they cross, they leave Egypt, they're on their way to the promised land that God's promised them, all the way back to Abraham, who was the father of the nation, prior to, to slavery in Egypt. And they're crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. There were about 3 million uh, Hebrews at this time, 3 million Israelites. And as soon as they cross over, then the Pharaoh and the armies of Pharaoh are behind them. And the Bible says that the, the, that the Red Sea begins to close in on them and completely they drown and they crush them and that kind of deal. They go on and we see in chapter 15, they write this entire chapter, uh, which theologians call the Song of Moses. It's basically like Moses is great. I mean, it's just how awesome Moses is as a leader and how God used him and blah, 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 blah. And then in chapter 16, the wheels come off. How quickly it comes off. And they begin to complain. Look at this, chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Not this Aaron, a different Aaron. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord, where? In the land of Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. Now they're free people, right? This is six weeks after they've, been, they've, been, they've gone. Why? Because we sat by pots full of meat and we ate bread to the full. See, I'm not the only person that my diet derives everything. For you have brought us out here in the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. I mean... They're six weeks out of slavery, six weeks out of Egypt, and they're not getting the diet that they had in Egypt. Oh, in Egypt, we worked seven days a week, but at least, you know, we had a Starbucks around the corner. We could go get a, a steak over here, and we could go, you know, get, go to Chipotle, you know, when there wasn't an E. coli outbreak, and we could go do that, and we could... <laughs> We could go here and there. I mean, we, we had that. And they could start talking about it. Remember how wonderful that was and how wonderful this was? And now we're out here. And, and where is all that? There's no more conveniences. Blah, 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 blah. Chapter 16, verse 11. And God spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13. So the quails came up in the evening, and they covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. Verse 14. And the layer of dew lifted, and there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which God has given you to eat. This is the thing which God has commanded. Let every man gather according to his own need, one omer, which is a, a measuring print, uh, uh, amount for each person, according to the number of persons. Let, let every man take for those who are in his tent. So God says, no problem. 
I'll send quail in the evening every day. You don't have to go hunt for them. You don't have to shoot them. You don't have to have a Winchester. You just simply have to go out. They'll be there. You can gather them up, and you can cook them and take care of that. And then and every morning when you get up, there'll be fresh bread. Wow. When you read the entire book, the entire time from this point all the way for 40 years until Joshua will lead them out of the wilderness, out of this desert experience that they're in, into the promised land, and they cross the River Jordan for 40 years. This happens every day, like clockwork. God feeds them every day, takes care of them every day. Fresh bread in the morning, quail in the evening. Man, I like God, amen? All right, so, so God is teaching them, though, this need for trust in him. He's teaching them to not fear, but to trust, to have rest and margin. Look at, skip on down to verse 22 of chapter 16. And it was so that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. And he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. It's a holy Sabbath. Holy means sanctified, set apart to the Lord. So bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil today and lay up for yourself all the remains that will be kept until, until morning. Skip on to 25. Then Moses said, eat today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. So on, only on the Sabbath, the last day of the week, there will be no bread in the morning. There's no quail in the evening. On six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So God says, look, here's what's going to happen. We're simply going to provide for you every single morning, every single day. And if you take more than what you need in a day, it's not going to last to the next day. The matter of fact, the, the, the passage right there, uh, if you read the whole chapter 16, says that the bread became filled with worms and it began to stink and the meat began to stink. It went bad. It rotted in that period of time. Because God wanted to teach them to live in daytight compartments, to take one day at a time, to do one thing at a time, to work one time, just just daily, just to kind of walk through that. When they began to try to take more than what they needed in a day, when they tried to reach over, which just comes from fear, when they try to do that and they don't trust in him, it rots, it goes bad. The only day that this doesn't work is on the Sabbath. And so the day before the Sabbath, on day six, you're to take what you need for day six and also for day seven, and it will last, but only on the Sabbath. And that's so that you have a day of rest. You don't have to hunt, you don't have to gather, you don't have to cook, you don't have to do anything but rest. Why? Because that's exactly what God does. Six days full court press, six days of stress, one day of release. Six days of going after it, one day of rest. Six days of hitting the ground, ground running, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. But people are people, and they don't listen, and they typically respond in fear. Look at verse 27. And it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. Even in all of this, even in God speaking to Moses and God leading them out and God delivering them and God showing up and God doing all this, they still don't believe that, they, that, that there's enough on, on the day before, on day, on day six, to cover day seven. And so on day seven, they try to do what? Work again. Why? Why? Because God's shown himself to be faithful. Why is it because God's done all this for them, God's provided all this? Why do they do this? Because they've been enslaved for 430 years. 
That's all they know. All they know is that tomorrow they may die. All they know is that they can't trust anybody or any, anyone in power. All they know is that they have to trust themselves. They don't trust the Egyptians. They don't trust authority. They don't trust anyone else in their life. It's all about them. It's all about what they're doing. And there's a lifetime of slavery that has taught them. Don't trust. Just get everything you can get. Get all that you can get. Hoard it up. Hoard it up. Hoard it up. Stick it away. Put it away. Don't tell anybody what you have because at the end of the day, you got to take care of you because that's what slavery taught them for 430 years. That's what their parents taught them and the parents before them taught them and the parents before them taught them and generation after generation after generation after generation working seven days a week with no rest, with no margin became normal. Sound like the world we live in? Yep. Why? The exact same issue. The Bible says that we are born as slaves to sin. And there is in our own spiritual DNA this default that says you can't trust anybody, you can't be open with anybody, you, you can't reveal your true self to anybody, you better take care of yourself. And so you, you either better spend and swipe that credit card and act like you can keep up with the Joneses, or you better hoard it all away. Most people fall into one of those two categories. They either hoard it away because tomorrow you may need it, and you build barns and bigger barns, or you got to swipe your way to happiness because that's only thing you're going to get because it may be gone tomorrow and we're up to our yin-yang and financial debt and crisis or we're a slave to savings and loan and we hate it when, 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 when the economy's bad because we don't make any money there. We, thank God we're making money in the Dow now, but this is what's going on. Why? It's the same issue. We respond in fear because of slavery. Because all we know is that I can't trust me, I can't trust you, I can't trust the church, I can't trust anyone in authority. What happens if God's not real? That's the reason why highly educated people many times default to atheistic or agnostic beliefs, because they can't control it. And we know the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith requires that I have to talk about my own limits and my own limitations and I have to trust someone. And I don't like to trust someone because I like to have control because the world that I live in is hard and it's cold and nobody cares and you're out on your, on your own some. And so you began to hedge yourself relationally. That's why you go from marriage to marriage and relationship to relationship because you can't trust anyone. That's why you propagate that onto your kid. And so it becomes this generational curse, generation after generation after generation because that's all you know is to be in debt, is not to trust people, is to try to control things or save, 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 or swipe, swipe, swipe. It's the default that we have. It's a slavery that we're bound into. It's in our mind. It's in our heart. It's in all of our system. And so to be generous, there's no way I can be generous, even though the Bible says I should because it's counterintuitive. And there's no way I should just really trust what, it, what, man, I don't know if I trust the church. I don't know if I trust the Bible. I don't even know if I can trust God. And so what happens as a Christ follower, we lack margin because we lack trust in God. Woo, he's all up in that girl, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Even though the Bible says 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline, or the King James Version says, of a sound mind. Fear 
of it all being gone. Fear of God failing you. Fear of your job not working. Fear of life not coming together. Fear of relationships failing. That is always a lie from the pit of hell. And we buy that stuff in droves. Why? Because I cannot trust anyone else but myself, and I really don't trust me. So I lead my life in fear. I live my relationships in fear. I live what I do in fear. I hedge my bets in fear. I'm constantly going in fear. So I can't operate with generosity because I'm fearful. I can't operate with transparency because I'm fearful. I can't operate with a certain amount of serving other people because I'm fearful. What about me? And that's why God gave us the Sabbath. That's why he modeled margin. It's okay to work. It's okay to have ambition. It's okay to go after something. I'm not telling you, you just need to go get some little job and just, uh, you know, just kind of just settle right in the middle and all of this stuff. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, be ambitious. Go after it. Make it happen. Well, you don't understand how the world works. No, but I know the one that created the world and all that there is. And if he can create the world and take a day off, you think maybe you can? There's a favorite place I like to eat, and I'm going to talk about it. And you're going to be frustrated because we can't go there today because they're closed on Sundays. It's called Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is one of the most sought-after franchises in our country for business owners. And they only work six days a week. Don't tell me that doing it God's way doesn't work in the world in which we live in. The highest grossing opening weekend of, or opening day of any Chick-fil-A in Chick-fil-A history at its time was the Chick-fil-A at Brookfield, in Brookfield on, on Capitol Drive. So not only does it work in America, it works in Wisconsin. Nobody's boycotting because they're not open on Sunday and they can't get their chicken sandwich on for Sunday. I've been like you, thought about it, driven my car over and went, oh, they're closed because everybody else is open. Isn't it interesting that everybody else is hoofing it, trying to make a buck, trying to build a business, trying to serve food, and, and that, but then you, but you've got another business that says, ah, we're just going to do it God's way, and so we're simply going to take one day off, create margin for ourselves, margin for our employees, and we're going to bust our rear ends the other six days of the week, but we will beat the competition just working six days a week while they work seven. I, I'm just saying, this is a thought. How many Chick-fil-A's you see closing? Steak and Shake's come and gone. I love me some Steak and Shake. Chili five-way, don't hate, congratulate, baby. I'm telling you, I'm all about some Steak and Shake. <laughs> There's three places in this city you can get hush puppies, and one of those closed. I won't say the name of the restaurant. I don't want to be mean. Seven days a week. I was out the other day, had a guest in town, he wanted fish. I went to a place which was a nice restaurant. They fly in fish fresh every single day, pull in the parking lot. They're not there anymore. That didn't work. 
Here's my point. My point is, is that what we typically tend to do in our lives is that we typically tend to respond in fear because we've got this default because we're born into sin and we're born into the slavery of sin. And until we come to the end of that and we truly trust God is when we're going to find March in our life because this is how God modeled it. It's not a lack or an absence of hard work because work predates the fall of man. There's nothing wrong with ambition. God gave you that. There's nothing wrong with drive. There's nothing wrong with getting up in the, in the morning early and hitting it and going and going and going. Nothing wrong with education, nothing wrong with excelling. We should be excelling. We should be excelling in every world. We should have people in DC that are excelling in politics. We should have people that, that, that are full of Jesus that, that are in Los Angeles and that are working the arts. We should have people on Broadway in New York. We should have people in New York and in Manhattan that are driving dollars in a God honoring way. We should have people in businesses and all kinds of arenas. We should go into every man's world. We should dominate it. We should own it. We should do it all for the glory of God because of. Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. But we should do it in a way in which God has created us, we the creation, submitting ourselves unto God the creator and going, if he does six days on and one day off, if he creates margin in his world, how much more do I as a finite, limited creation, not creator, need to do that in my own life? And if I will push my fears down and understand that the fears that I deal with in this world never come from him, they come from the enemy of my soul, and I'll just simply trust in him. I'll find the peace. I'll find the rhythm. I'll find the margin. I'll find the rest that I'm looking for. Today, as you leave, I'm going to give you a rubber band. I know it's an expensive gift, so don't lose it. I'm going to give you a rubber band because that's what this series is all about. Stress and release. Stressing and releasing. I have a rubber band ball in my office. Part of it because when I'm talking to people on the phone, I'm just, I'm ADD, and so I'm throwing it against the wall. I've broken a couple of pictures, and it's no big deal over the years, but <laughs> you can buy new glass. And so, anyhow, so I, I'm doing that, and I do that, but, and one, and I got to a point where I, it kind of started coming apart on me, and so uh, I, I started taking it, and I took these rubber bands, and I put them into, a, I undid the ball, and I put it in this cup in my office. And I don't use the rubber bands a whole, whole, whole lot. But, uh, but anyhow, one of the things I learned is that being on, in that rubber band ball, they were stretched. And, and so it kind of kept its elasticity. When it's not and it's just laying there, it loses its elasticity because it's not being used. And so then when you go to use it and you pull it, it breaks and pops because it's brittle. Because the thing about a rubber band is it's never designed to stay in the same position the entire time. It's designed to be stretched, and it's just designed to be released. And if you always have it in a release mode and not in a stretch mode, it loses its elasticity. It dries up and it dies. And if you just keep it in a stretch mode all the time, or you stretch it beyond its own capacity, it will eventually break on you. At some point in time, it can only handle so much, and it will just break and come apart. Because it's not designed for that. Same way with you and I. We're designed to be stretched and then to release. Stretch and then release. We're not designed to just float away, knee deep in the water somewhere, although Zach Brown has something with that song, I think. But we are designed to be stretched and then released. Six days on, one day off. Mar I'm going to go, 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 go. I'm going to have margin. Go, 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 go. I'm going to have margin. Why do we not stretch sometimes? Because we're fearful we might break. You're not going to break. That's a lie of the enemy. 
No, no, no. You're created to be stretched. You're created for your body to deal with a certain amount of stress. You're created. It's healthy for you. It's healthy for you to get out and work. It's healthy for you to sweat. It's healthy for you to have calluses. Amen. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching good. Especially if you've got kids in this room. You should be saying amen. It's healthy for you to go. Work it. But then have a day off. Margin. So I'm going to give you this because I just simply want you, you may want to put it around your wrist. You may, you may take it and use it at home. You may flick somebody with it. I don't know. Don't flick me with it or I will come at you. So, but I want you to do that just as a, as a deal. Because as we walk through this, we're going to talk about it next week. How do I schedule this? Because I get what you're saying, Aaron, and I want to do it, but it's so counterintuitive. And you understand why. But remember, the Sabbath was made for you, not you for it. It's not about you being a slave to something except for Christ. But it's about that being beneficial to you. Stretch and release. It's a rhythm that God created.